So welcome back to our Lancaster School District podcast, School Buzz. The ideas and opinions expressed are their own, not the official district approved message. This is a platform for the exchange of ideas and information. So I have the tech coaches here who were a little bit missed that I have not invited them on the podcast yet. They kind of came in and said, hey, it's our turn to be on the podcast. So uh, I thought that was a great idea to have you guys here. So we're going to be discussing 21st century teaching and some of the things that you've seen around. So I have Matt and Marshall and Caitlin here. They're going to do a very brief introduction of themselves and how long they've worked for the district. You're a senior member. So I'm Marshall. Uh, This is my 27th year in the Lancaster School District. Uh, My name is Matthew Ryan. Um, I am 15 years in the district, maybe a little more because I was a long-term sub here prior to being a full-time teacher. I'm Caitlin Ming, and I've been in the district now for five years. All right. So we're talking about you've all been teachers in the classroom. You've all spent a lot of time learning technology. What does 21st century teaching look like to you? I guess I'll go ahead first. For me, I see two things. First of all, it's how you structure the class. So I'm a fan of blended learning model. Blended learning model really emphasizes kids doing a blend mix of independent work, working in teams and groups, and also having sort of good one-on-one time or small group work with teachers. I taught in a blended learning model uh, for an intervention program for several years. And really one of the big things that we're trying to get away from is the whole sage on the stage. So the teacher up there talking all the time, constant direct instruction, not giving kids time to interact, to explore, to do work independently in small groups. That's one of the first things I look forward to. Technology can really enhance the blended learning. So I think that the 21st century learning model, my vision of that is creating kids that understand how to find resources and learn on their own because we're working on creating kids that are seeking jobs that aren't currently there. You know, the the whole job market's changing, the way people have work, you know, it's no longer in a job for 40 years, the same place other than me, apparently. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they're, they're moving jobs and doing jobs that don't exist. So we're trying to create learners that are able to research and do things on their own and that, you know, using technology and the things that are there are going to enable them to use those resources for that kind of goal. Yeah, um, I agree with a lot of what both of you guys said. For me, um, 21st century learning also looks like um, a lot more focus on collaboration, um, a little bit more focus on digital literacy, critical thinking, and problem solving. I think that building up those four skills for 21st century learning is what we're what we're looking for. And like Matt had mentioned, is less of the teacher input and the teacher um, just delivering the information, but more of the focus shifting to how the students are collaborating to solve problems and how they're being digital, digitally literate and able to um, continue to advance their education. Yeah, when I, when I think about 21st century learning, I'm thinking about kids learning how to be creative, how to be um, makers, how to develop their own things, not just consumers of what we give them. So a real move away from worksheets and the, the things that I used to do a lot of in the classroom, because that's what we have, those are the materials, but really more creating their own thing. So creating a video, creating a story on their own, um, not just consuming what we give them. We still need them to read. We still need them to write and do math. But how do they take those skills then for a relevant education and apply it to something? So I'm looking for application and creativity when I'm thinking about 21st century. So you had the opportunity to get out to lots and lots of different classrooms. Uh, what's some of the most innovative things you've seen in our school district so far? 
Um, I'll start with that one. One of the best and most exciting things that I've seen in, in a classroom um, in our district has actually been a uh, PORTS program. And the PORTS program was a program that was is presented by the state of California. And it allows students to have basically a digital virtual field trip um, with relevant things in California. So the one that we actually got to see was a field trip of the state Capitol building where they had the smart board um, right there for the students and the students were being led around the Capitol building um, by a, a member of the um, building. And he was showing them all of the different rooms and the kids were able to ask questions. And it was like a guided tour of a Sacramento Capitol building. And that's some, an opportunity that they would have never had you know, before technology. And I, I saw that when you guys, um, when, I, when the classroom was doing it, was at Nancy Corey. And it, what was really cool was it just wasn't like a video, it was, it was like a canned speech. The guy was right there interacting with the kids and when the kids would raise their hands, he could see them and ask questions and answer their questions. So that was super cool. Um, I think this year for me, one of the things that I've been most intrigued with is the use of Flipgrid in the classroom with kids making their own videos and, and responding to questions, um, band practice that's being done where the kids are recording themselves on scales and turning it into the teacher and, and using video for that kind of thing is just a phenomenal change of, of what used to happen. Who was doing the music where they're recording um, themselves? Michael Adriano with Paiute and they're doing some of the music where they're recording themselves and submitting videos. And I know Stephanie Hernandez has a, a great Flipgrid set up and we've seen it in some first grade classrooms and some other places where they're using some of that technology. Yeah, and with the Flipgrid, it's really cool too because not only you know are they using it for band, but even our kinders and first graders are able to get on there and now they're being able to share their their knowledge via video and then the other students are able to respond right right through video and it's just putting us in a whole different light for them. That's neat. I was just in a classroom and the teacher was using it for Mother's Day messages. Oh, yeah, so the kids are recording Mother's Day messages. Like, oh. um, for me, um, it's funny because you mentioned the Forts program. That's kind of where my wife's career and my career connect because my Forts is a California State Parks program. And my wife works for California State Parks and she actually just attended a training specifically for people in her job to learn how to use technology to enhance the, they call it interpretation. So something along lines of ports. So so it was neat because she was learning kind of some of the same things that I've been dealing with, working with for years. In terms of innovation, I actually have two really good examples. Um, there are two veteran teachers who have a you know decades of experience. Uh, Kimmy Morrow at West Westwind, and also Lori McKinley over at Mariposa, who have really stepped out of their comfort zone this year and really embraced some of the technology. And it's really great. Uh, and they, more Mrs. Morrow teaches third graders, Mrs. McKinley teaches first graders. But I've really had a great opportunity to sort of help them expand their skill set. Uh, and also with the McKinley's first graders, I've been sort of saying, okay, what can I get first graders to do? Like I keep kept pushing and pushing them. And it's been amazing what I've seen uh, first graders can do. The stuff that I used to have to teach sixth graders to do, I have first graders who know how to do it now. So, and I've really loved working with those teachers because they sort of gave me an opportunity to, to come in and do something new with them and with their students. And Matt brought up the first graders. We happened to go sit in a kindergarten classroom with Mrs. Saucedo, I think Saucedo. at, at uh, Monta Vista, and those kids were doing phenomenal things with the smart board, with Chromebooks, with computers, and the way she had it stationed and run was just a, a phenomenal Seamless. thing to watch, yeah. And the kids were able to, it was really interesting to see their connectivity to the, the technology. It was being used as a tool to enhance their learning. It wasn't being used as just something there in place of a worksheet like we happen to see a lot of times. But this technology being used even in the kindergarten level to truly enhance the education and to 
connect to those standards that we've been working on. That's wonderful. And, you know, so a lot of times we, we go out, we see technology used, and it's really a replacement for, it's just substitution. When we talk about the SAMR model, it's really just that very low level of, you know, instead of a worksheet, they're answering questions online. And there's some good uses for that. I mean, you can practice your math facts, you can practice spelling, but we want to also increase that level of how, what we're asking kids to do with it. So it's doing remodification of, of the classroom and they're interacting with it on a way that demonstrates their learning and not just fill in the blank. So it's a good point. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Uh, it's not on your list of questions I gave you. But we, yeah. <laughs> we have some pilot teachers that are, are working with us this year. And that was kind of a new thing for us. We got um, some money to help them become Google presenters and let them try some new things. Uh, what do you see that direction of that group going? Because they're kind of our, our, our top implementators in the district. Um, my personal thought with that is, and this kind of leads into the next question that's coming up, but um, a lot of the teachers in our district having a place to go observe in how technology is used is going to help the growth that we need in the district to, to, you know, the comfort level to see how it's being used, see how it's being done. And I kind of view those tech leads as being somewhere that those teachers can walk in and kind of see lessons and see how technology is incorporated into those lessons. I, you know, and having gone through an administrative credential program, you serve one of these buzzwords, buzzwords. One of them is building um, institutional capacity. There we go. <laughs> so yeah, there's one we learned. So it's really looking for the people who are already who are already part of your organization and who have sort of the skill set and the ability to sort of step up and provide not only just help out the people around them, but to make them better um, uh, professionals. So I see them, you know, as sort of the future instructional coaches. I see them as the future tech toasters, people who are going to be leaders, but in order to get there, you need that experience of doing training. You know, you don't just become a trainer overnight. I mean, when I started, I made some, I messed up a couple times. You know, I remember looking back and going, well, I really messed that up. So, but that takes, that takes practice. It takes, it takes the opportunity to, to have, to do those things. So that's what I see them becoming is that this is sort of their first step into a, 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 a future career path. Um, I agree with, with both of them. I think that uh, I see them being the, the go-to person, the, the person who's modeling for the, the campus um, so that it, it isn't something extra, but just something part of what they're doing. And I feel like having the tech lead teachers on each campus, or you know, hopefully we have them on each campus eventually, I, like they said, it's just to model, to be there, to be the one to go to, to ask questions, and most importantly, to model failure. And in technology, that's something that's very important to be able to move on and be able to adjust and know how and know and model that it's okay. And it's okay to not know everything that's going to happen. And to have a person there at your site and watch them daily fail with technology is going to really boost the confidence of others who might be apprehensive to try because they're not sure what the outcome is going to be. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to point that out that these are the people that I also want them to try things and have them not work. Yes. That, then that, that's part of innovation of trying and then having it not work and then, okay, what do I need to go back and try? I know we gave our tech leads um, webcams. webcams and so we're hoping, you know, it's kind of a hard time of the year that they'll do a, um, a lesson or some kind of interaction across the district with another classroom and see how that works. What are the bugs that we need to work out? So I was hoping that they would be our innovators to try things. Ooh, that didn't work. Let's try that again. Uh, because we need people that are willing to fail. And if you're in technology, you have been willing to fail <laughs> because <laughs> there are many times it doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. 
um, and just kind of encouraging that mindset of getting out and just trying new things. So that kind of leads us into our next question. Some teachers are really afraid to try something new. And what do you think hinders those people? I seem to, th I, I think less than it's the technology itself, because most of the things that you start out with are fairly user-friendly. I never start with a veteran teacher who's afraid. I don't give them something like Flipgrid, which takes a little bit more knowledge. You start with something small. But I think it's that it's such a paradigm shift in the terms of what they're used to teaching and what some of them were taught in their credentialing programs. I'm curious about what's going on in credentialing programs right now. I haven't been in one for 15 years, so I don't know. Um, but we're really, it's not just the greater use of technology, but it's really a pedagogical mind shift. You have to sort of approach teaching in a different way these days, and it's not the way that any of us, uh, Caitlin's a little bit younger than us, yeah. <laughs> but it was definitely not the way I was taught, and it's definitely not the way Mark taught, or Rebecca was taught. So that is the thing, is I've sort of focused more on like, what are the pedagogical tools or practices we need to to focus on. And I, you know, to build on that, I said a lot of us teach or taught how we were taught. Mm -hmm. That was our model, the classroom with the teacher up front, and you sit and listen, except for the times that I was out in the hallway for being in trouble all the time. <laughs> um, Not you, Marshall. <laughs> this is part of why technology comes second nature to me, is I spent a lot of time in the hallway. <laughs> but, you know, we tend to teach how we were taught, and I think that um, there's that comfort level. And a lot of teachers, you know, being able to not be the expert is a tough thing. Yes. Being able to sit down and say, hey, we're going to try this and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that, but I've seen some teachers, once, you know, that you've walked in and say, let's try this. And some of the teachers, oh, that's great. So having them experience that and getting a little bit more comfort, even something small, is, is a, a stepping stone to it. Yeah, I think the thing that hinders the teachers from moving forward is, is just confidence alone. Um, confidence that you're going to be able to troubleshoot right on the spot when something doesn't go the way you plan. Confidence that you're not going to lose your class because right. you don't didn't stick exactly to what your plan was because your plan didn't go because something happened with technology. So it's I think it's a lot of the anticipation and the the confidence and the those two together I think hinders a lot of people because they're you know the unknown. It's uncomfortable and and like Marshall said, once you have somebody modeling it and showing and and doing it and it's more of an accepted culture that we can be wrong and that we can have mistakes and we can then it then it it alleviates that stress a little bit. But I definitely think that it's a confidence a confidence thing for us. Right, and I I think. A lot of times teachers are, like you said, afraid to fail in front of kids. They, they feel like they did. But in our society, there's no way you're going to know everything all the time. And modeling that, that vulnerability and that mindset of, okay, that didn't work. Now let me try something else. That didn't work. Let me try something else. Hey, Samuel, maybe you know how to do this. Come on up and show us. Because the teachers at Mariposa said that was one of the things that they found that a kid may know more than they did. Absolutely. And it was okay to let the child kind of show everybody else how to do it, to not always have to be the expert in the room. And I, I know as a teacher, that's kind of fearful that people are going to say, you don't know what you're doing, but there's no way you can know every single technology that ever comes out. They're changing all the time. So. It's got to be a shift to be an expert of the management, not an expert of the content. Exactly. And what a great confidence builder for kids to, yes. be, to become the expert, to yes. rely on that. That's a confidence builder for our students to be able to step up and say, hey, I can show this. Well, and, and we have lots of kids that are able to show us stuff. So, let's, you know, let's get, let them go ahead and do that. So what do you think 
next 10, 15, 20 years? What do you envision for our district? What would be like the, the best district ever? Which we already are, but <laughs> as we grow, what else do we want to do? I'm I'm really, and this is sort of just broader education as well. I'm sort of looking at sort of these, there's these bigger concepts out floating out there. One's called the concept of de-schooling. And de-schooling is this idea that the way we've set up school is sort of a, a, it's an unrealistic model. It's a model that doesn't exist in our adult lives. And that we really need to structure school in a way that is, allows for experimentation, allows for a little bit more freedom of choice, and also allows opportunities for kids to get more help in what they need and less help when they don't need. So this idea that we have to have structured periods, that bell rings and ends and you have this set blocks of instruction um, that the kids have to master, have to focus their entire year on specific sets of curriculum. So, and this is becoming sort of this model you see popping up in some smaller charter schools, some private schools, but it's it's one of these things that pops up at edu ed tech conferences and we can use technology to, to move this process of de-schooling along. It's a big jump. I hopefully will see it towards the end of my career, um, but I, I'm, I, I think about it and I, I sort of think about how can I, how can this model happen given the way we structure our, our school days, our school years, and our instructional minutes, all those things that we have to take into account. So I'm, I'm interested. I, I look for and I, I hope to see that. You know, um, for me, and I think you touched on this earlier, was moving towards kids being creators really going to be, I think, the way of the future moving towards kids making videos, kids, and, and some of that will be choice, where some kid might want to make a video and another kid might want to do a hyperdoc or something different, but having that capability to have choice and also create is going to be where I think we help our district move in that direction. Mm -hmm. I think I would like to see, you know, in the future and, and looking 10, 15 years down the road, I would like to see us as a district using technology to genuinely enhance our education. You know, Google has a lot of tools built in, accessibility tools for people with special needs and, and things. And using all of the tools that technology can bring is going to really, kind of like Matt's idea, can really specialize and focus down on the needs of each individual child. We're looking at less of a all need this instruction and more of a what does this individual student need and how can we reach that with technology. And I think technology is a great tool for that individualization and personalization of, of education where you don't need to spend an hour in math class because you've got these concepts and you can move forward. And you can spend three hours in language arts because that's your passion and, you know, that's where you shine. It, but just individualizing it more for the passions and drives of the child. Now, everybody needs a, a foundation, obviously, but that more flexible schooling and that's one of the reasons I'm really happy with LAVA and their blended program because it is more flexible. It's not the same school where you got to be here from eight to three because I think parents want more flexibility and so do kids, but they still need to be with a group. They still need to be socialized. They still need to be doing that collaboration, but maybe it doesn't have to be Monday through Friday at a set schedule with the adult set, which is, that's hard to manage. That's a whole different concept, but um I would love to see that because hopefully I will get some grandchildren one day and I would love to have a really diverse, um, creative place for them to go and be, be students. Looking forward for that one day. <laughs> All right. So we want to give a community shout out to Northrop Grumman. They took our um, B 
52 plane from Jack Northrop and have repaired it and made it brand spanking new over there. So we have some specific people we want to thank. Uh, Richard Sullivan, Kevin Mitchell, Christine McGlade, and Michael Fountain. So thank you very much for doing that for our school. We just, you know, it's a great school and we love having that um, airplane out in front. It makes it very special over there. So where can you find this podcast? I think I have finally figured out how to do it on iTunes. I'm waiting for validation. <laughs> so maybe by the end of the week, it will be out there. Um, our next theme is going to be child nutrition. And we'll have Belinda and Debbie here talking about all the things they do for, for lunch and breakfast for our kids and how complicated that actually is. Uh, we're looking forward to that. At the end of our podcast, you can hear Kelly and the students from Sierra playing Simple Truth. But um, I also want to let you know something. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The, the band is playing somewhere and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing and children do not fuss. But there is no joy in Lancaster for Matt Ryan is leaving us. <laughs> Congratulations, Westside. You're getting a great AP. We're going to miss him terribly. Uh, but, but our plan is to get him back eventually. So Westside, you get maybe a year or two with him and uh, we're going to pull him back. <laughs> I'm going to cut my teeth as an admin and, and get my years under the belt and see if, see if I can do the job that I, I hope I can do. So you can I'm do sad to leave too, but it's time, it's time for something new. Yeah, well, we're going to miss you. Miss you terribly. We'll, we'll, we'll be calling you all the time to help with Great Book Pro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, I think. All right, guys. Have a good evening. Thank you.